impressive from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Good morning, everyone. Um, this morning, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 4, if you'd like to turn to that in your Bibles. Um, if you're not quite sure, Galatians, it's in the New Testament, probably about halfway through that. If you find a big set of books called Corinthians, just after that one. Um, we're going to have a little talk about the way that God sees us, uh, specifically the way that he sees us as his children and the way that he relates to us Uh, as our Father. So a lot of what we were singing and worshipping about in the worship is very timely. We're talking exactly about the way that God sees us and the way that we relate to him. Um, Reading from Galatians chapter 4, from verse 1, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Um, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God is not distant. Just just think about that for a second, because that is a much more radical statement than it sounds. God is not distant. If you think about who God is, if you were to draw up a little chart of every one of God's attributes, if you like, it would be quite long, but just a few that you could think of. In every single instance what you would think of as God being like would be the complete opposite of what we are like. God is not, in his basic sort of sense, like us. He is different. He is much bigger and much more powerful. He's eternal, you know, etc., etc. You have some idea of what God is like. He is not like us. And so the fact that he is not distant is frankly ridiculous. The fact that God is involved in our lives and cares about us is ridiculous. It is not the way that you would have imagined it would be if you looked at what God is like and what we are like. You would not think that he would be interested in spending time with us. But he is involved in our lives and he cares about us. I mean, the most obvious proof and example of this is the fact that he came down as a man in flesh to live among us. This God who is transcendent and holy and beyond us and as I say, nothing like us, would come and live with us um, in our midst and be involved in our lives, even though he is nothing like us, even though rightly he should have nothing to do with us, even though we have nothing to interest him, he is involved. But not only, (laughs) not only is he interested, not only is he involved, he went much further than that in what, if you like, is the most dramatic twist in the story of the Bible. He comes down as a man, he dies, God dies, that's a little bit bizarre, and then he makes his enemies to be his children, even his sons. 
he makes enemies to be his children. It's, it's not the way I would have written it. It's not the way you'd write it if you wanted it to be credible. It's not the way that you'd write it if, uh, if you expected people to believe what you were going to say. But that's the truth. That's what he does. Um, just a comment before I get into this passage. Paul talks a lot about us being sons of God. Uh, just to clarify, that doesn't mean sort of that women aren't in on it. That doesn't mean that we're not talking about daughters as well. It doesn't mean you have to become a man to be saved, like some very bonkers early Christian cults said. Um, that doesn't mean that you, that you can't relate to God in the same way if you're a woman. Um, the reason he talks about being sons is because in his context uh, at that time, the sons would be the ones who were the heirs. The sons would be, the eldest sons specifically, would be the most important children. They'd be the ones who, when their father died, would get everything that their father had to give them. So if you like, when Paul is saying sons, what he's meaning is the children of the highest privilege. So it isn't that God is saying, oh, I like the men and not so keen on the women or whatever. It's that he's saying that we are his children of high privilege. So I'm just going to look at this passage, look at what Paul says uh, about the way that we became his sons and what it's like to be sons of God. Um, first of all, we're going to have a quick look at what Paul, what Paul says about where we came from, which is perhaps not what you'd expect Paul to say, but um, he starts off with this image of, uh, of the heir of a rich man in a rich man's home. Um, and the heir will one day receive everything that the rich man has for him. He will receive... Uh, all the money, all the wealth, all the land that he can see, all the big houses, all the servants will have to do what he says. Um, but Paul says at the moment, because he's still a child, he is no different from a slave, and although he is the owner of everything, he is still under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So although one day he will rule everything, and if he says, go bring me that, they'll come and bring him that, or if he says, uh, you go do that, the servants will have to go and do exactly what he says. They'll have to go and make him the food he wants in there and go and bring him all the things that he wants them to. At the moment, he is, has no more rights and no more privileges than the servants in the kitchen. In fact, perhaps even less because he has strict rules that his father has put down for him to follow. He has a very regimented life. He is told where he can go and when and he's not allowed freedom, although one day he will have all of the freedom that he could have and, and even more than you can imagine. He will own everything but at the moment, he is not free. Um, and then what, what the reason Paul is talking about this, or what Paul means by this, um, is that he's talking about the position of the Jewish people. Now, you might be thinking, well, what's that got to do with adoption? And if you just bear with me for a couple of minutes, we'll get there. But let's just talk a minute about what this picture means. Um, Paul's talking about the way that the Jews, the Jewish people, related to the law that God had given them. Um, the law functioned... The law functioned as their guardians and their managers in the same way that this, uh, that this child had rules set forth for him. Um, it guarded them, if you like, until the point at which Jesus came and they could go into their inheritance. Um, and therefore, eventually, their status towards the law, the fact that the law served as this guardian for them and said what they could do and held them regimented like slaves almost, that status did change. That status was altered when Jesus came because that was the time at which they came into their inheritance and this what the Bible calls new covenant is what we if we're not Jews here I mean I'm not born as a Jew is what we get to get in on is how we get to relate to God is how we get to get 
into his people. It was for the Jews. It was a new relationship to God. Um, John Calvin says this, which I think is quite helpful. The fathers, by which he means sort of your big Old Testament characters, your Abraham and your Moses and your Isaac, all of them. The fathers under the Old Testament, being the sons of God, were free, but they were not in possession of freedom. Um, so they were, they were free in that they related to God based on his grace, but they were, did not have the full freedom that later we get in Christ because they still related to God through the lens of the law because he'd still put these rules down for them to relate to him through. But we are now free in Christ. So you're probably now starting to think, great, fine, what on earth has this got to do with being adopted as God's sons? Well, he's not first, Paul is not there talking about the fact that we were once sinful and now he's brought us into his kingdom, despite that being true. He's answering specific questions that the Christians in, uh, in Galatia, which is a place in modern Turkey, um, the questions that they were asking him. They were asking him a lot of questions about the Jewish people. Uh, the main reason for this is because there was a group what theologians would call uh, the Judaizers in Galatia who were telling them that they had to follow Jewish customs. Um, and the Galatians had all sorts of questions about the Jews because, as far as they could tell, they'd been God's people uh, and now Paul had come along and told them that they could come into God's kingdom through Jesus and be free. So how did, how did that all work out? They're asking these sort of questions. How were the Jews now? How did they relate to God? Are they as free? Or if the Jews had to keep all these customs, if they had to circumcise their male children, if they had to eat all these specific foods and keep all these ceremonies, do we have to do that now? Because, because we've sort of come into the relationship that they had through Jesus. And they were asking all these questions about how it worked. And these Judaizers in Galatia were saying to them, yeah, um, now you're in through Jesus, but you're into the covenant that the Jews had and you've got to keep all their laws. And yeah, you did get in, you're free, but you've got to keep their customs. You've got to circumcise your children. You've got to, you've got to eat all the foods that you, they say you can eat and nothing else. They were telling them that they had to keep all of the Jews' Jewish customs. Um, and so they're asking all these questions about how is this freedom that Paul has told us we had applied to the Jewish people? Um, and they were being taught sort of that they had to bear this, this yoke or this load that the Jews had to bear. Uh, because after all, God's people had had to bear it, why wouldn't they have to? You can sort of see the logic of why they were asking these questions. Just, just to think about it a minute, if you're thinking, well, why would it be a yoke or a load to bear these laws? Just imagine again that you're a new Christian and that you've just discovered that you're free and that God relates to you based on his grace and that he will give you blessing simply because he has decided to give you blessing and it isn't based on what you do. And then someone comes along and goes, oh, that's great, but uh, you've got to read your Bible every day. And you go, ooh, okay. And uh, you've got to pray every day. And you go, ooh, right, okay, yep. And uh, you've, got to, you've got to attend church every Sunday, right, yep. And... Uh, You've got to attend your midweek group. Okay, yeah, yeah. And you've got to, uh, you've got to pray out in worship every week. Oh, right. Yes, yes. I'm, so I'm free, am I? It's, you, can, you can see the image of how putting laws on people can make them feel like they're bearing a heavy load. That was how the Jews were. And Paul has come along to these Galatians and said, no, you're free. And yeah, these are good things to do, and you should probably do them, but they don't affect your relationship with God and you're free. So he's describing here 
if you like, the universal condition of both nations, so the non-Jews and the Jews. He's saying this is how the Jews did relate to God, just to explain the fact that that was for a time and it had changed, and that the Galatians did not have to keep these laws. But his main point, as he moves on to talk about the same way that we as children were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, was that both the Jews and the non-Jews were chained before they knew Jesus. They were both in chains. They had all come from chains. The Jews were chained to the law, and both the Jews and the Gentiles were chained because of their sin. They were chained because their conscience would tell them, oh, that's wrong, but they'd do it anyway. They were chained because they could not get themselves out of that cycle of doing thing after thing after thing that they didn't want to do, but that displeased God. We have all come from chains, and we were all bound up in our sin. I mean, just briefly to talk about that, being bound up in your sin, it means that you're dead, spiritually dead, and you have no way of getting yourself out of your condition. Being bound up in sin means that you hated God, although you almost certainly didn't feel like you did. The simple fact that you didn't live your life wanting to please him, the fact that you would live apart from him, according to God, is an act of hatred against him. Uh, Being bound up in sin is being a rebel against his kingdom. It's saying, I don't really think you are king, and I'm going to go this way, thank you very much, and not doing what he says is right, that's what being bound up in their sin was like. They were hating God, they were running the other direction, and they were dead. So they couldn't actually get themselves out of that state, even if they had wanted to. So Paul then moves on here to tell us, well, in that case, if we're in such a dire condition, how on earth did we get to be where we are now? How on earth did we get to be from there to a place where the living God would call us sons and daughters? And he answers it with your typical nice little Sunday school answer. Jesus got us here. Jesus got us here. I mean, quite simply because we couldn't have done it. We were dead. We were running the other way. We could not have brought ourselves here. And Jesus brought us to this place. What Paul says is that, uh, but when the fullness of time had come, so by that he means exactly the right time, when exactly the right time had come in the purposes of God. Sending Jesus was always going to be God's plan A. It was always what he meant to do. Before he created the world, he had intended to send Jesus to save sinners. So, uh, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So he sent him forth, as in from eternity. He sent him from his trinity, the part of God coming down into history. This is the Most High God who flung stars into space, the Most High God who spoke and the world was created, being born in a dirty stable covered in donkey slobber. Uh, He was born as a man, uh, Paul says he was born of woman, so literally born as a man. We're talking about a real physical man, a man who would get tired and have to sleep, a man who you could touch, A man who, if you poked him, it would hurt him. A man who would get hungry and have to eat. A man who would delight after certain foods and particularly want to eat them. A man who, frankly, like most men, would have smelt. Probably not that nice most of the time. They didn't have exactly modern hygiene. Jesus was a real man. 
not sort of, when we say that he's a man, we don't just mean, oh, he looked like a man. We mean he was a man, a real man, exactly like we're real people. Um, Paul says he was born under the law. So that means he was born as a Jew uh, with all the rights, privileges and responsibilities that a Jew would have. As it happens, he's the only Jew in history to have ever actually kept that law correctly and perfectly. Uh, and he did that both to fulfil the law because he was supposed to do that and also to fulfil it for us. Because part of the deal, if you like, part of what Jesus accomplished for us is that his perfect righteous standard that he kept in the law gets put onto us and it is as though we have kept that law perfectly even though we wouldn't have had a cat in hell's chance of doing so. So Jesus is born as a man under the law. He is born as a person like us. Now there's some pretty good reasons for that. And it tells us some pretty <laughs> exciting stuff. Jesus sympathises with our weaknesses. And you know how we know that? Because he's been there. Because he's had them. Because he's felt every single weakness that you have ever experienced and yet not sinned. And he in fact took on those weaknesses deliberately in order to save us from them. He came, if you like, he came in our condition to save us from our condition. He knows what it's like. He's been there. He's not some God who says, do this, but you think, yeah, but you don't know what it's like. He does. He's been there. He knows exactly what it's like to be you. He knows exactly what it's like to live your life. Um, John Stott says this about who Jesus was and what he came to do. The divinity of Christ, by which he means the fact that Jesus is God, um, the humanity of Christ, so the fact that Jesus was a man, and the righteousness of Christ, so the fact that he kept the law, uh, uniquely qualified him to be man's redeemer. If he had not been man, he could not have redeemed men. If he had not been a righteous man, he could not have redeemed unrighteous men. And if he had not been God's son, he could not have redeemed men for God or made them sons of God. Jesus was exactly who he had to be to save us. Exactly who he had to be to save us. And you know what else that tells us that's, again, rather exciting? He knew what he was doing. He didn't make a mistake when he saved you. He didn't pick you up and go, it, oh, oh. Oh well. Try again later, you know. That wasn't what he did. He meant to save you. He deliberately intended to save you because he knows exactly what you are like. He was not surprised to find out all of those flaws and weaknesses. He knew them. He'd been there. He knows what it's like. It wasn't a mistake. He wants you in his kingdom. And you can know certainly that it was not a mistake. Uh, Paul then tells us why it was that Jesus came as a man to save us. Uh, he says, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So two reasons why God did that. To redeem us. Now that's a posh theological sort of sounding word that basically means to buy us back from slavery. To break those chains 
that I was talking about a little while ago. To bring us out of that place where we were and put us, and he tells us where he wants to put us, to adopt us. To put us in a place of high privilege. If you think about adoption in, um, in our world, uh, it's, sort of, it's a legal process uh, and it's a way of making someone who is not your child to be your child. Well, that's a pretty good picture of what happens. I'm pretty sure that's why Paul talks about it like that. That's exactly what God did. He made people who were not his children into his children. And that means that we are rightfully in every way now God's children, even though we were once not. And if you're wondering how he did this, I mean, you probably know the answer, but I'm going to tell you anyway. If you're wondering how he did this, Jesus did this for us on the cross. He died in the most hideous and torturous way mankind have ever been able to come up with. We've never managed, and we're very good at killing things, but we've never managed to come up with a way that is worse to die than that. And yet while doing that, he bore the wrath for the sin that we, that we had committed. He bore the anger that God had for the bad things we had done, if you like. And then he also put upon us the righteousness, the goodness that was his and the status that was his so that we can stand in front of God and he will see us like Jesus. He did that for us. That's how he did this. He redeemed us, he broke our chains and he adopted us and gave us a new status. So then, what is it like to be children, excuse me, what is it like to be children of high privilege? Well, Paul gives us actually tons of reasons. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to go through them all. But first of all, he says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we can cry Abba. That's not some Swedish pop group. That's, um, that's an Aramaic word that means father. And so that tells us two things. Um, firstly, sort of the... Uh, this, sorry, just to explain. Galatians would have been written in Greek, which was the English of its day, if you like. the sort of the trade language that everyone around the world spoke. Um, and Aramaic would have been sort of the colloquial language of the Jews. So the first thing we see here is Abba, father, in one language, and father father in another language, put right next to each other. In fact, one from sort of the non-Jewish, Greek-speaking world, and one right from the Jewish world. So in fact, all peoples of the world covered, if you like, in those two languages. What Paul's getting at is that all people call God Father if they are in Jesus. That we are, as the Bible would say, one new man in Christ. That we are one tribe. That we are one family that the non-Jews now get to be with the Jews as God's chosen people but not that they become Jews they relate to God as they are when in New Frontiers say we talk about being family on a mission I mean that's quite a big slogan for us that isn't some sort of popular thing we like to say it isn't some sort of postmodern ramble about community that just makes us sound hip and cool I'm not even sure it manages that um, but we mean it when we say we're family we mean it we are family together because we have one father we are brothers and sisters because we have the same dad that's the force of calling ourselves family we mean it and we have to act like it um, 
the other thing that this word Abba tells us, it's, yeah, it's an Aramaic word for father, but it's not the sort of father that some posh English schoolboy would call his dad. It's the sort of father that your average kid would, uh, would say to his father as he comes home from work. It's the sort of thing he would cry out in delight as he runs to him and gives him a big hug. It is, if you like, very close to an English daddy. Just let that sink in for a minute. I'm sure many of you have heard it before, but it's absolutely ridiculous that we can call the Most High God Daddy. The one who rightfully should have crushed us for our sin, but decided to save us. We can call him Daddy. That's not just nice. That's not just, oh, that's quite exciting. That's insane. That's not sort of something that a normal or sane person would think up. But yet, that's what God has done. He's turned everything on its head. He's completely changed history. It's not the way that you would have made it. But that's the way it is. We can call God Daddy. And that means we can experience his love and acceptance as a father. Um, If you just imagine for me a little child, sort of, I don't know, toddler, maybe slightly older, Um, I'm not a parent, so those of you who are, just bear with me with this. You'll probably have much better experience of this than I do. Um, But they can be quite cute initially, particularly when they're very curious. And they'll sort of ask you lots of questions. And they'll say, why? 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 About everything. And it's quite cute, sort of, for ten minutes. And then it gets a bit annoying after half an hour, and then I get to give them back. Um, And then, sort of, I'm sure after a couple of hours, it's more annoying. And after days and months and years of it, I amazed that parents don't want to strangle their children. But small children can be very annoying. That's that's just the way it is. They can be very annoying. If you think of a little baby, just just think of a little baby. That's very cute, uh, but it can't offer you much, to be honest. It can sometimes smile. That's that's very nice. It's probably because it has wind. Um, They're very good at smelling. That's that's something they do very well. They They can do some fantastic smells. Um, they can offer you puke, something they can offer you, and poo. That, that's the other thing they can offer you. That's what little babies have to offer you. It's nice of them. Lots, lots of nice things to give you. But just next time you're with a parent and their child, and they're holding that stinking, pooing baby, just look in their eyes and see the depth of their love for their child. And it's not based on what their child can do for them. It's not based on what their child can offer them. It's simply based on the fact that they're their child and they love them because they're their child. Um, It's exactly, exactly the same way with God. We probably annoy him quite a lot. I mean, I'd imagine we do. And we certainly can't offer very much to him. And what we do offer him is probably on the same level as puke and poo. He doesn't really want it but yet he loves us because he loves us because he loves us. He loves us because he said we will be his children. He loves us because he has decided to intend to love us and save us. And you know what that means? Because that is not based on us, because we have done nothing to contribute to God's love, because his love for us is not founded on what we can offer him or on our good behaviour, It doesn't end and it can't fail. It doesn't end and it can't fail. Simply because 
when I mess up, that isn't going to change my position before him because it never put me there in the first place. Because it never had any effect on how he feels about me. When I do something crap, it isn't going to have any effect on how he feels about me. God will love us because he loves us. Paul also tells us, uh, so you are no longer a slave but a son. We are no longer slaves but sons. God is not looking for slaves. He's not looking for people who sort of artificially do his bidding. Uh, He wants precious sons. I mean, if you think, yeah, but God quite likes me to do this or that, and I can see why you'd think that, then uh, just think about this for a minute. If you ever get into that state of mind, which I'm sure most of us do, when you're thinking sort of, ah, God must be quite pleased with me, I'm doing quite well at the moment, I'm doing some pretty good stuff for him. Think about it like this. He doesn't think about it, that when you do stuff for him, he doesn't look at you and think, oh, they're doing really great. To be honest, he'd do it much better and much quicker without you. Much better and much quicker without you. In fact, (laughs) scales of magnitude better and scales of magnitude quicker without you. To be honest, we hinder him in the sense that when we do things for him, they don't come out as well and they don't happen nearly as quickly. But yet he has decided to ask us to do things for him. And that's exactly the same as when a parent, say, asks their child to help them with a job. It isn't because the child can do it particularly well or they're actually all that helpful. I'm sure they, they slow you down. They make it take a lot longer, but you like doing it with them because they're your child and you love them in exactly the same way. God likes doing things with us because we're his children and he loves us. He doesn't relate to us as slaves who are particularly good at doing what he wants us to do. He relates to us as sons who he delights to give tasks to because he likes watching us do them because he loves us. We relate to God like children. And so that means next time you feel, I'm a rubbish Christian, or next time you feel, I've had a rubbish week, or perhaps even a rubbish Christian life, depending on how you look at yourself, it doesn't matter. Because he doesn't relate to you on a performance-related scale. You're not a slave who has to do X, Y, Z tasks in order for him to be happy with you. You're a son who he is happy with and pleased with and wants to bless simply because you're his son and he's happy with you and pleased with you and wants to bless you. There is no foundation for his love for you that is inside you. All of it is external. All of it is based on the cross of Christ. All of it is decided before eternity in the plans and purposes of God. So if you feel like a rubbish Christian, well, so what? You're the son or daughter of God. You're a child of high privilege. The God who created the world loves you. I mean, I wouldn't let anyone tell you a rubbish Christian when that's the truth about you. It's amazing. Uh, And finally, Paul says, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Not only are we children of high privilege, but God has called us his heirs. God has said that we have an inheritance. Now, there's several things that uh, that this inheritance is, Um, firstly it means that we are and this is sort of Paul's burden in Galatians uh, that we are heirs of the promise to Abraham 
Now, that might sound a bit of a weird thing to say. Um, Abraham was a character in the Old Testament who God promised uh, that he would bless the nations through him, that he would make his children into a mighty nation. Now, throughout Galatians, uh, before and after the section I'm talking about, if you want to go away and look at it, you'll see that Paul talks about Abraham as being the father of Christians. In fact, he talks about this promise to Abraham, the fact that all of Abraham's children would flood the nations, being fulfilled in us. We're Abraham's children. So what, and you might be thinking, well, so what? I mean, it doesn't sound like the most exciting thing compared to the fact that we're children of God. But what that means is that all of us here, if you're a Christian and you know Jesus, are part of the story of the Bible. We're part of the story of God's plans and purposes. We have always been intended to be his people. His church is the culmination of something he promised to uh, a man in the near Middle East sort of, what, three, four thousand years ago. He promised it to him then. He'd planned it countless eons before then. And this is the culmination of his purposes. We are heirs to the purposes of God. We're who we, we're he, we are who he wanted. And we're, we're, we are exact, I can't talk today, and we are exactly where he wanted us to be. Um, also, being named as heirs means that we get an inheritance. Uh, Ephesians 1 talks about the spirit being given to us as the guarantee of our inheritance. We get to experience God's presence. We get to have power in the spirit. And this is the result of God calling us his sons and heirs. This is something of our inheritance. This is what of our inheritance we get to experience in this life. And there's countless more available for us when God calls us in finally into his kingdom. Uh, not that we really know what a lot of that is. But we get to experience God's presence and we get to have power as a result of God calling us his sons. Your dramatic experience of the Holy Spirit is a direct result, not some sort of ancillary extra thing. It's a direct result of God saying, you're my child and I love you. Have this. And because of that, because we have all of this, because we have an inheritance, we also know that we have a certainty. Because, as I've said, it is founded on God's gracious action towards us, uh, because our adoption is not in us, it's in God, if you like, we can be certain of this, we can be assured of this. It isn't going to fail and it isn't going to end. We can be certain that God loves us. Can, uh, could the band come up, please? So, this is what it is like to be a child of high privilege. We can cry, Daddy. We can call God Daddy. We are a family together. We can be assured that God is our Father. We are no longer his slaves. Well, we no longer relate to God as slaves, but we are sons. And we are named as his heirs. Once we were God's enemies, and then Christ brought us near and made us his sons. Once we were chained, but he broke the chains and made us free. Do you want to know what that's like? Are you here and you think you don't know what that's like? 
you can know today. You can say, Jesus, show me what it is like to be your child. Jesus, meet me and make me your child. Are you here, but, and you know you're a Christian, but you don't feel that that's true? Well, once again, ask Jesus to assure you of the truth of what his Bible says. Ask him to show you that you are his son and that he loves you. Do you feel like you're a rubbish Christian? Well, you're not. But let God show you that that's the case. Let him show you his grace. And you need to experience his love today. Reach out to him and he will show you his love. As we sing this song, reach out to God wherever you are and however you feel in relation to him and allow him to show you what it is like to be his precious son. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.